We're continuing our series, Love Works. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Philip, Philip Gennardo, and I came to Highgrove first when I was a student in the 80s. Uh, these days I'm involved with Woodlands Metro, which is the mini-me of Woodlands. Now, when Ed started us off on this series, he said nobody wants to have mediocre relationships. We want to have great relationships. We want to have loving relationships. And Rob last week just unpacked a little bit of what love means, what it always does. But I want to tell you this week what is the most powerful organ that you possess that will determine your ability to show love, but also to act in ways that are unloving. And it's not your heart. Your heart is not the most important organ when it comes to showing love. It's actually your tongue. The Bible talks about the tongue and it says that actually the tongue can steer and navigate the course of your relationships. If you have good language, if you're loving in the way that you speak, you can create great relationships. But if you're negative in your language, you can actually do harm to people and do harm to yourself. This is what the book of James says about the tongue. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now that might seem a little harsh, but what James, the brother of Jesus, is saying is super practical. He's saying that it's your tongue that can steer the whole course of your life for good or for ill. Kids say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Of course, we know that that's absolute nonsense. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will break my heart. Your words have the power to undermine your relationships. Your words can lead you right out of a happy marriage. Your, your words can destroy the bond of respect and trust that you have with your children. Your words, your tongue can get you right out of the door of your job. They can break up friendships. Your words, your language, they're incredibly powerful, the way that you use your language. But James, he opens up his book with probably some of the best advice that we can have in turning our tongue to good, learning how to tame the tongue. He gives us six words. And these six words, if you take them to heart, they can actually make such a huge difference. James chapter one says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to be quick to listen? Does it mean you've got super great reflexes that you can really hear fast and that you speak really slowly? What, what, what does it mean? These six words, quick to speak, slow to listen. I can give you my own version of it and I can do that in four words. Four things that we need to do in order to get better at communicating, be more loving in our communication. And that is listen, listen, wait, speak. Listen, listen, wait, speak. 
What James is saying to us with that quick to listen is he means that the emphasis in your communication should be always on listening, on being able to get to what the other person is trying to communicate. Put more of your energy, more of your attention and more of your focus on listening rather than simply speaking and putting your point across. That you listen. In fact, the way that we've got it, listen, listen. You listen twice. It's a skill that you can develop. But first of all, you're listening for the words. And secondly, you're listening for meaning. You've got to listen to the words that people are saying. A few years ago, I was 25 years old, and uh, I wanted to just trail my dad and uh, just see how he did ministry. My dad's this incredible, amazing church planter, minister, incredible figure, hundreds of churches all over the world. And so he took me with him. He said, look, come with me. It's a pastoral situation. We've got a couple and they've got marriage issues. I remember going with my dad and uh, we knock on the house of the door. We go in and this couple starts to talk. And I'm 25 years old. I wasn't even married myself at the time. But within five minutes, I knew exactly what the issue was. And I just waited for my dad to just wade in and tell them what was what and sort them out and put them straight. But my dad didn't say anything. He just let them talk. And when they finished talking, he asked more questions and they would talk some more. Five minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour. Finally, a whole hour had passed and now they were totally exhausted from saying. They had no more to say. They'd put it all out on the table. And my father said, this is what I think you need to do. And they, after listening to him, their eyes lit up, smiles on their face, started kissing, made a baby right there. And uh, it was like this marriage just came back together. But I, I walked out of their house. I said, Dad, how come you took such a long time? How come you just let them go over and over, on and on about the same things? I, I, I knew what was going on within about five minutes. My dad said, I knew what was going on before I walked into the room. But he says this, unless people feel like they have been listened to, they won't accept what you have to say. If I'd have told them the solution to their problem, they'd have just protested. They wouldn't have accepted it. They would have said, no, 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 you don't understand. She always does this or he's always like that. It's only when people feel really listened to that you can then move forward in the communication and they are ready to listen to what you have to say. And so the first thing that we do is we listen for words. But it's not just enough to listen for words. You have to listen for the meaning. What people are actually trying to say is not always easy to figure out from the words that they actually use. We have this thing where we think, well, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. But you don't. You absolutely don't. None of us do. Because we're all inside our own heads and we all have a particular style of communication and language. We express ourselves differently. We may think that we've expressed ourselves adequately to the person, but they don't necessarily hear what you're saying. They may hear the words, but they don't necessarily hear the meaning. In the uh, early years, I mean, still a little bit, but particularly, hugely in the early years uh, of my marriage with Kate, the first 10 years or so, we were just always scuppered. Our relationship was waylaid by miscommunication and, and, and difficulties and flashpoints and tensions and arguments and fighting and crying and all this stuff. And so much of it came because we didn't understand what the other person was saying. We just heard the words. We hadn't listened for the meaning. And then it was five simple words that saved our marriage. And those simple words, they were simply this. 
What do you really mean? What do you really mean? Because my wife would say to me, you never do anything around the house. You don't lift a finger to help me. You don't love me at all. You never do anything. You're just always lazy. And with my kind of communication style, I would be massively on the defensive because sure, I, I may be a little bit of a slob, but that's factually incorrect. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And I want to put forward my case. No, I'm not. I did some hoovering last week. Let the record show. And then she would escalate and we get further and further down the line of conflict and tension. But the moment that we started to learn to use that five-word five phrase with one another, what do you really mean? Suddenly everything changes. So I say to my wife, do you really honestly believe that I don't love you? Do you really mean that I never do anything? What do you really mean? And she'd consider it a little while. And then she'd come back to me and say, actually, my dearest darling, Right now I am stressed in ways that I can't fully articulate and it's exacerbated by my perception that once again I'm doing the lion's share of the domestic duties around the house and so therefore I'm just inviting you to show your love to me in a practical way so that I can get through this difficult time. And as soon as she says that, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're so right, I'm so sorry. Here, let me bake you a souffle. And suddenly I understand the meaning behind the words. With me, I was always uh, the kind of person, and I still am, that my first response to anything is no. My wife complained. She said, you know, I've heard of yes men. You're a no man. Everything I say, no. Should we do this? No. How about this idea? No, 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 no. She said, now I've just figured out that if I'm going to be happy in this marriage, I just have to ignore what you say, because I know what you're going to say. It's going to be a no. And I suddenly thought, oh, actually, I need to express to you what I really mean. When I say no, I mean, my dearest darling, I'm intrigued by the proposal that you've put forward, and I think it has merit on a number of fronts, but it is tempered by my natural cautious nature. So right now, I'm just gonna invite you to press against me a little bit, just so I can judge the strength of your feeling on this matter, and then we can move forward in a mutually beneficial way. <laughs> Made all the difference in our relationship doesn't mean that we don't still have tension and conflict, but it means that we have learned to listen and then to listen, to be quick to listen, to listen to the words and then listen to the meaning. You listen, you listen, and then you wait. Particularly where there is conflict in communication, where there is emotion that runs hot Sometimes your best strategy is just to take a little breather, to pause. This is particularly true when we talk about uh, social media or texting, just to be able to take a couple of steps back. In fact, if you have a text or a tweet that has just inflamed you, use the 24-hour rule, which means that you're going to let 24 hours pass before you reply back to that email or before you text back that person that's really upset you and offended you, or before you fire off that inflammatory Facebook post or that tweet of anger. Actually, with a little bit of waiting, if we're slow to speak, slow to respond, actually sometimes you get yourself in a different frame of mind. You can actually take out the negative emotion and you can put in the love. 
You take out the anger, you take out the hurt, take out the poison and the venom, and then you put in the love. And sometimes, just because we're human, we need a little bit of time to recover from things that were said, or from emotion that we're really feeling, so that we can put it in the most loving way possible. Love works. And then finally, when you've listened for words, listened for meaning, wait and take your time, then speak. And when I speak, I'm speaking with humility and I'm speaking for understanding. I'm not speaking to score points from someone. I'm not speaking to put them in their place. I'm not speaking to have my side of the argument. I'm speaking simply so that you understand where I'm coming from and making sure that you really get the import and the meaning that I have behind my words. And when we speak, we speak lovingly. And when we communicate, we communicate with grace and compassion. And James says, this is the thing that will steer your life. This is the thing that will determine more than anything the nature and the quality of your relationships. This is the thing that's going to enable you to be a better parent to your children than perhaps your parents were to you. This is a thing that's going to allow you not to be sarcastic or to engage in crude banter, not to be negative and critical and harsh and condemning of people. This is a thing that's going to allow you to step into the other person's perspective. Consider it, take a moment, and then think how you can speak in the most loving way possible. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have said things, even in the last month, that you've regretted? Things that have just tripped off your tongue. James says, listen, if we want love to work in our lives and love to work in our relationships, let's be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's listen, listen, wait, and speak. And let's ask that God would make our tongues the kind of rudders that steer us in a positive direction, steer our family relationships in a positive direction, steer our romantic relationships in a positive direction, steer all our interactions with those around us in positive ways, because we have got our tongues under the control of God's loving Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you have given us a tongue that can direct the course of our life and our relationships. And Lord, we want to be the kinds of people that use our tongue wisely. We don't want to be emotional arsonists who set whole forests on fire with the words that we say. But Lord, we want to be people that steer the ship into calm waters. I want to pray, Lord God, for those of us that have been hurt and wounded by the words of others around us. I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just retaliate in kind, but I pray, Lord, that we would be able to understand love, bear with one another, and respond in Christ-like, compassionate love. Lord, would you help us in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.